0: This live. So if if uh, David's going to check that, I'm
1: sure, with his phone or something. But if, if you're online and this is live, um, if you're having problems with the feed, just email technology is from Satan at org, and we'll uh, look at it right away for you. Um, hopefully David and uh, Jason have that figured out. So it's good to have you with us this morning, both live. And uh, if you are online, it's good to have you with us. We are wrapping up part three of what was supposed to be a one-week message on Hezekiah. And um, I'm, I'm kind of sorry for that, but David really appreciated the break. Uh, Lord willing, next week, David can share with you uh, from, I, from the book of Isaiah. Um, we left our narrative in the book of Isaiah. We ended chapter 36 with three leaders of Judah tearing their clothes, and reporting the words of an arrogant,
0: effective, evil messenger of Assyria to King Hezekiah. That's how we left it. So
1: there was three guys. They heard the message. Everybody on the wall heard the message. The messengers didn't say anything. They just turned around, walked away, and went to tell Hezekiah the bad news. And that's chapter 37, verse 1, is where we pick up with this. Um, we're at We're going to read that together. Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the Lord's temple. So Hezekiah hears these words. And if you weren't with us last week, these words are words of, you have no hope, we will defeat you. Nobody can save you. The Egyptians can't save you. Your God can't save you. No God has saved anybody the Assyrians have tried to attack and don't even think your God can. And by the way, don't believe a word Hezekiah tells you because you're all doomed and you're all going to like, die here in Jerusalem. So that was the message that was given by the really good bad guy. And uh, at the end of that message, they take that message to Hezekiah. Hezekiah tears his clothes, covers himself with sackcloth, and went to the Lord's temple. Now, sackcloth is like burlap. Picture something like burlap. Itchy garments that you put on that are just really uncomfortable. And all of these, this tearing of your clothes and the putting on the burlap or the sackcloth was a sign of, of remorse, of mourning, of something horrible that had taken place, of grieving. So Hezekiah here, he's emotionally wounded. He took on this posture of sadness, he tore his clothes. And he left his throne to go be in the temple. He left his throne, put on sackcloth, and went to be in the temple. Now, just a side note, the last time we read about a king together who
0: left his throne, stepped off his throne, and put on sackcloth was actually the king of Nineveh when Jonah approached him. A pagan king. Pretty cool. That was the example that was being set up for Hezekiah
1: here. So he goes to the Lord's temple. He went into the temple in Jerusalem, the place where God said his
0: glory would dwell. And we need to stop right there. You're like, but we just got into it. We need to look at what
1: happens. But first, we need to look at what did happen before this, which means we have to look at the chapters that are written after this. And I know that that sounds confusing, but we have to look at what took place before this moment, and that's actually recorded after this chapter. So I want you to skip to chapter 38 and verse 1. So we're going to go forward so we can look backwards, so we can come back to our story. Confusing? All right. I mentioned that there are four chapters in the middle of of Isaiah dedicated to King Hezekiah. And chapters 36 and 37, they're, they're definitely the pivotal story. They're the key story of this guy, um, Hezekiah. However, what happened in chapters 38 and 39 actually took place prior to what is reported in chapters 36 and 37. And this is just proof that the prophets break all the rules. They do. Um, they definitely break all the
0: rules. Uh, let's look at chapter 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became
1: terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came and said to him, this is what the Lord says, set your house in order, for you are about to die, and you will not recover. I don't know about you, but I don't want Isaiah showing up at my house if that's the kind of news he's got, right? Isaiah comes up to him and says, you're going to die. Set your house in order. God said so, can't change it, you're done. Now, in those days, that's one of those frustrating phrases because it means somewhere around that time, and it could be happening at the same time. It could be happening a little bit after it, or it could be referring to something that happened before it. In those days is one of those words that just drives you insane if you like linear history. If you like things just to go in order, in those days will drive you crazy. So you have to start looking at the text and going, okay, wait a minute. In those days, what days? Who's, who's this
0: talking about? Well, in those days, in this case, is referring to a period of time where
1: Isaiah is going to revisit a topic or visit a topic that he didn't get a chance to talk about in chapters 36 and 37, but they're important for the story. In this case, it's a postscript that goes back in time. So when Hezekiah heard the news that he, was going, that he was terminally ill and he was going to die, in chapter 38, verses 2 and 3, it says that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. And he said, please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept, wept bitterly. He prayed, he pleaded, he cried. And God changed his mind. Now, if you want a subject that'll just really kind of blow your mind, look up this concept of God changing his mind. I mean, Isaiah did say, you can't change this. But listen to what we read in chapter 38, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Look, I am going to add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you and this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he has promised. I'm going to make the sun's shadow that goes down on the stairway of Ahaz go back by 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back 10 steps that it had descended. Now, Isaiah leaves out a few details. This passage, this this guy Hezekiah, he's recorded in three different books. He's recorded in Isaiah, he's recorded in 2 Kings, and he's recorded in 2 Chronicles. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we find out that, that Hezekiah had a skin disease. He was dying from a skin disease. And the cure was to take figs and rub it all over his body. Now, for some of you, that probably sounds exciting. For others, you're thinking, that's really gross. But generally, if you have a terminal disease, rubbing figs on a person does not heal them. Can we agree on that? I mean, figs have not been known to be the cure for anything like that, um, a terminal disease. But that was the cure. He was healed and was going to be allowed to go to the temple in three days. And, and that would be to present himself as clean so he could resume his worship and everything. And, he, and the other thing that we don't get from our passage in Isaiah is that Hezekiah asked for the sign. I think that's pretty cool, because we read about another king in chapter 7, Ahaz, the wicked king, and God said to
0: Ahaz, ask a sign for me, and Ahaz said, no, I won't, and God was mad at him. Now, here's Hezekiah,
1: and he says, well, what's the sign that you're going to give that I'll know that I'm going to be healed and be able to go to the temple in three days? Second Kings chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Hezekiah asked Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go to the Lord's temple on the third day? And Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord that he will do what he promised. Should the shadow go ahead 10 steps or back 10 steps? Hezekiah answered, you know, it's easy for the shadow to go down 10 steps. No, let the shadow go back 10 steps. So the prophet Isaiah called out to the Lord and he brought the shadow back 10 steps It had descended on the stairway of Ahaz. That's cool. Could you imagine? You're in a spot where, where you're being given the chance to ask God for a sign. And through the prophet Isaiah, he says, Well, you have your choice. You can make, do this or this. And Isaiah goes, Let's go for the harder one. I mean, you're talking about God. Is anything impossible for God? And I think it's just one of the cool reminders. Like, if I said the shadow is a sun, think of a sundial, and the shadow is keeping track of time, you're not going to make time go backwards. And that is exactly what. Hezekiah is asking for. Make the shadow go backwards. Let's make time go backwards on this step. Really cool. That's just so cool. And God does it. And he's not mad, which is also really cool, I think. So we have Hezekiah getting this news that he's going to die, and he starts crying. He's weeping. Um, Why is he crying? And why is David mentioned in this passage? This is significant here. In chapter 38, verse 1, Hezekiah is on his
0: deathbed. Now, it's believed that Hezekiah died around 687 BC. God, was, God had given Isaiah, I mean, given Hezekiah, excuse me,
1: 15 years onto his life, right? That's what the, Isaiah said. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, God's going to give you 15 years on your life. So if he died at 687, And you go back 15 years, then this event took place around 702 BC. The man standing on the road, shouting blasphemies at God and putting fear in the hearts of the Israelites happened around 701 BC. So this event with his life, with him being told he's not going to live, happened before
0: the really good bad guy showed up. On the road. So the threat of
1: Assyria is real, but the confrontation had not taken place yet. So Hezekiah was grieved, and here's one of the main reasons people think he was grieved he had no son to take the throne. We have no sons recorded for Hezekiah, and he was a king after the line of David. And there was a promise made to David that one of his descendants would sit on the
0: throne. And if Hezekiah were to die, that promise would be unfulfilled. When king, Hezekiah, when king Hezekiah died, his son, not a good son at first,
1: kind of becomes a good son after. Great story. Guy's name is Manasseh. Manasseh becomes king at age 12. So Hezekiah dies after 15 years. His son becomes king at age 12. So his son was born three years into that 15 years? Are you, are you tracking with me here? Am I losing you with the dates? Which means that he has this deathbed experience. About a year later, this guy shows up on his front door saying, I'm going to take you all out. And about two years later, he has a son who's going to take the throne. So that's the timing of all this. Um, so prior to the events of the messenger of Assyria, Hezekiah was spared from death and promised 15 years and that Yahweh would defend the city from the Assyrians. That was part of the promise as well. I will not allow the Assyrians to take over the city. So he had this promise before the messenger showed up on the road.
0: That's significant.
1: I've got to jump to chapter 39. I'm going to skip in chapters 38 and 39. We're going to go back and read 37 completely. Chapter 39. At that time, another one of those phrases. Let's put this one up on the screen. At that time... Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a gift to Hezekiah since he heard that he had been sick and recovered. Now, at that time is a first cousin to in those days, and both of them are married to frustration if you're a history person, because they kind of somewhat flow together, and sometimes they don't. Normally, at that time is talking about a specific time, usually either at the same time or just following. That's usually not one of those, um, where in those days is abroad, at that time tends to be a little bit more specific, but it still can be a little fuzzy. So at that time, um, would be following the healing of Hezekiah, and we really only know that because it says so, Um, because it says that he went, he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. So we don't know if it was a week later, or a month later, or six months later, but somewhere around that time, this king of Babylon Here's that he had recovered. So let me give you the time frame here. This guy was king of Babylon two different times. The first one was 721 to 710. Obviously that's not the case, right? Because this hadn't happened yet if you do the timelines, The other one was around 703-ish BC. A lot of the commentators put it in 705 to 703, some to 705, 702. So it's right around that same time. So even this kingship lines up with the events in Hezekiah's life. It's really cool. That means that this was probably the second reign of Merodach. Now he, the Babylonians were being persecuted by the Assyrians also. They didn't like the Assyrians. And this guy was a rebel. He kind of went against the Assyrians and formed a revolt, which is why he ended up on the throne and then lost the throne. And then he ends up back on the throne again for a short period of time. And Then he goes into hiding and dies um, somewhere. So he, re- he actually reports after the recovery of Hezekiah. Um, so probably around 702 BC. And this rebel approaches him and gives him gifts and a letter. He sends his envoys, his messengers. So verse 2 of 39. So Hezekiah was pleased with the letters. And he showed the envoys his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the precious oil, all his armory and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his palace and in his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. So why would Hezekiah show him this? Most likely, this Babylonian king was looking for some allies. He wants to defeat Assyria. And he's probably coming to Hezekiah going, hey, listen, I saw that there was something miraculous happening. Maybe you're a good luck charm. Why don't we get together? Maybe we can defeat the Assyrians together. That's one possible reason. Um, the other one is he was looking for financial support. So Hezekiah showed him. Well, I'll show you what I got. Whatever it was, Hezekiah shows him everything. And this becomes a major pride issue. It becomes a very major issue. He shows them everything. And it's kind of like that moment, if you've read the story of David, where
0: David counts his army and says, look at all the armies that I have, and forgets about God. So we read in 39 verse 5, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word
1: of Yahweh of armies. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all of your predecessors, all that your predecessors have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon and nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. This chapter in the book of Isaiah is a bridge chapter from Assyrian conquest to Babylonian conquest. It becomes kind of this little pivotal point where we're going to stop focusing on what the Assyrians are doing and realize that Babylon is coming and they're going to be attacking Israel. But I don't think that's the only reason Isaiah has it in here. So Hezekiah's response, verse 8, chapter 39. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word that Yahweh has spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security during my lifetime. It's like, whoa. He's like, all right, it's okay. My relatives are going to get carried off into captivity, but it's okay because I'll have peace in my lifetime. That's a horrible thing. That's really a horrible thing. Um, Now we get a little bit more insight from this story in Chronicles. I'm going to flip over to there. 2 Chronicles 32. Um, I think I have this one for you as well. Second Chronicles 32. However, because his heart was proud, Hezekiah did not respond according to the benefit that had come to him. So there was wrath on Judah and Jerusalem. And then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, and he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the Lord's wrath did not come on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. So his heart was not good at the time. There was pride in his heart. Though he started well by destroying idols and reestablishing temple worship, eventually he became arrogant and proud. Perhaps it was the promise of 15 years of his life. I mean, if God promises 15 years, what can possibly happen? Maybe it was the, uh, the lure of wealth and all the money that he had that made him take confidence in what he had accomplished and what he had stored up versus what God had. But it says that he didn't respond according to the benefit that had come to him. that's interesting. Let me go a little further in Chronicles, and then we're going to come back there. Chronicles 32-31. When the ambassadors of Babylon's rulers were sent to him to inquire about the miraculous sign that happened in the land, God left him to
0: test him and discover what was in his heart. That whole scene with the Babylonians was a test of Hezekiah's heart. Friends, let me just say, it is so easy to rely on God when we're in
1: trouble. You know, when the bullets are flying, there's no such thing as atheists anymore. It's easy to cry out to God when we're in anguish, whether that's physical or emotional or relational or financial. And, well, it should. But can we acknowledge that it's also extremely easy to neglect God when things are going really well? That when we receive the blessing of God and the goodness of God in such abundance that we can look around and forget what it's like to be in those times, that it's very, very easy for us
0: to forget God. Isn't that true? Hezekiah became proud. Now, God said that this would be a problem for Israel.
1: He said it in Deuteronomy. Um, If you want to just see all of it, you can read chapters 28 through 30. I'm not going to try to read the whole book of Deuteronomy to you this morning. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, I do want to read that for you. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. Be careful you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. Listen to the description. When you eat and are full, and you build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of a rock for you, He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had not known, in order to humble and test you, so that in the end, he might cause you to prosper. You may say to yourself, my power and my ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that Yahweh, your God, gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Sadly, it's our nature to recognize God in our need and to take credit for ourselves when we have more than enough. And God called this out in Hezekiah. He told the Jews this would be the case. You just came from the wilderness where you had to trust me. You're going to go into a land where I'm going to bless you and you're going to forget me. And it's the challenge of each one of us even today. We live in a society in the midst even of a pandemic We are
0: blessed with many things, many, many things. It's so easy to forget God during those times. Hezekiah had the king of Babylon send messengers
1: to him because he heard about a miraculous healing that took place.
0: What do you think Hezekiah's response should have been? What do you think his response should have been? The king of another empire heard that a king who was sick to death with no chance of recovery had experienced the miraculous
1: and sends his envoys with gifts. I think his response should have been, let me tell you about Yahweh. Let me tell you about the God who heals and protects and saves and delivers, because there is no God like him. And instead, he says, let me show you my riches. Let me show you what I've amassed over here. Let me show you what I've done. Instead of, let me show you what Yahweh has done. He had the ear of an upcoming world power, and instead of sending the message about Yahweh, he shows him all of his bling. I mean, hashtag fail. Huge, big time. Big time fail right there. But that passage shows that he did humble himself. We read in verse 26, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride that was in his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the Lord's wrath did not come on them during Hezekiah's lifetime. This was the pattern of David, his ancestor as well, wasn't it? David messed up with this girl Bathsheba, and then he killed Uriah the Hittite, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And when he was called to the carpet by Nathan the prophet, David goes in and humbles himself and cries out to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Friends, this story of Hezekiah is so important because it's our story as well. It's not a question of if we will become arrogant and proud at times in our lives. It's just a matter of when, right? Right? Isn't it true that there will be times in our lives where we will forget God, we will take the credit for what God is doing? I mean, that's just our human nature. It's not a question of if we'll do it. We will become arrogant and proud at times. That's the original sin. Go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And that was Eve's sin, wasn't it? Oh, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God.
0: Well, we already made in the image of God, but she wanted more pride. It's pride, it's arrogance. The question is when we do it, what will we do about it? Repentance is a gift from God. We don't like to use that word repent, but
1: repentance is such a gift from God. What did Hezekiah deserve for his arrogance? He deserved to be kicked off the throne. And yet he received the mercy of God because he humbled himself. Repentance is a gift from God because it allows us to be restored back to the place that God wants us to be in even when we have messed up, and God offers it freely if we just humble ourselves before him. Friends, we will mess up. (laughs) We will mess up. We will make ourselves out to be better than God at times in our lives, and when we do, the lesson of Hezekiah would be to humble ourselves,
0: and then God can restore us back to the position that he has for us. So what have we learned up leading up to the story in chapter 37? So what have we learned?
1: Hezekiah was told he would live 15 years longer for the sake of David, which implies a promise of an heir. Hezekiah failed to honor God, but repented. And the people repented too. Hezekiah was told he would not be able to count on Babylon to help, but instead Babylon would eventually take them into captivity. Hezekiah was told that God would rescue him from the Assyrians. And Hezekiah thought he would have peace in his lifetime. This is about a year, or around the same time, that Sennacherib starts sending guys up his front door. He thought he was going to have peace, and that quickly
0: got shattered. So why does this matter? The events that led up to this moment in Hezekiah's life were meant to build the faith of Hezekiah. God had been testing him and refining him as a leader. Would
1: the current events of being saved from death and being forgiven for arrogance affect or influence Hezekiah's actions when the armies march up to the gate of Jerusalem? And that's where we pick up in chapter 37. Hezekiah has been promised, Assyria will not take you out. Hezekiah has been told he'll have 15 more years. He's been told that Babylon's going to take him out, not the Assyrians. And he and the people have already humbled themselves before God, realizing that arrogance and pride is not what God wants of his people. Let's go back to chapter 37. So we fast forward, we read ahead to look back so we could see where God had taken Hezekiah And can I just say this? God puts things in your life, circumstances, situations, tests, and trials to prepare you for what's ahead. Sometimes it's for the benefit of others, and sometimes it's because there's a lesson you need to learn to face what's going to be
0: even more challenging yet to come. And that's a cool thing. That's a cool thing. Chapter 37, verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard their report, He tore
1: his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went to the Lord's temple. And he sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priests who were covered in sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. And he said to him, This is what Hezekiah says Today is a day of distress, rebuke, and disgrace. It's as if children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. Perhaps Yahweh, your God, will hear the words of the royal spokesman whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God and will rebuke him for the words that Yahweh has heard. Therefore, offer a prayer for the surviving remnant. So the servants of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah.
0: Isaiah said to them, tell your master, the Lord says this. Don't be afraid because of the words you have heard, which
1: the king of Assyria's attendants have, been, have blasphemed me. I am about to put a
0: spirit in him, and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, where I will cause him to fall by the sword. So, the first thing Hezekiah does is he takes on a posture of humility,
1: something he's learned from his past, and he goes to the temple and he inquires of God. And he sends his messengers to go to Isaiah, the man of God, the spokesperson of God. Back in the day, that's where you heard from God, God spoke through the prophets. And the message was, don't worry about this guy. God says, I got it taken care of. And after this, the king of Assyria does leave Lachish. Is that better, David? Lachish. Um, And he went to Libna. So he sent personal letters to Hezekiah. So the king leaves the stronghold, goes to face another guy who he hears is coming after him. His messenger goes after him. But the king sends back some other messengers with a letter. And the letter sounds an awful lot like what this Assyrian messenger had. It's basically the same story. Don't believe Hezekiah. Hezekiah, you're doomed. Your God can't save you. You're all gonna
0: die in Jerusalem. I will take you over. That's what the king says in his message. Verse 14 of chapter 37. Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands and he read it.
1: And then he went to the Lord's temple and spread it out before him. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Yahweh of armies, God of Israel, and throne between the cherubim. You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open, our, open your eyes, Yahweh, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Yahweh, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated all these countries and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made from wood and stone by human hands. So they have destroyed them. Now, Yahweh, our God, save us from his power, so that all the
0: kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Yahweh, are God. You alone. So Hezekiah takes the letter, (laughs) I love it, and he spreads it out before God, as if God didn't know what was in it.
1: And then he says, hey, hey, um, turn your ear toward me, God, and, and listen, as if God doesn't hear everything. And, and would you open your eyes and see what this is saying? As if God doesn't already know and see everything. He brings these human characteristics to God, and he just doesn't even know how to pray. I, God, look, look what's going on. Do something about this. Do you see what they're saying about you? And it's, yeah, it's true. They've taken over every other place, but you're the only God who's in charge of all the kingdoms and who made the earth, and you are bigger than those gods who were just made by man. So he appeals to God's deity. He appeals to his authority over all of creation and says, please do something about this. The prayer is that God would defend his honor, that God would spare Judah. So the nations of the world would know that the God of Israel is the God of all. This is similar to Moses' prayer when God wanted to wipe out the Israelites and Moses said, please don't do it. Think of your name. Think of what the Egyptians will say if you wipe out all these people now. This is similar to David facing Goliath. Do you hear him blaspheming God? How can you let this happen? This needs to be stopped. It's the same idea. He spreads this letter out. He talks to God and God does not rebuke him. He rewards him.
0: Our prayers do not need to be perfect or flowery. They just need to come from the heart. God
1: hears, God sees, and God is a God of compassion who rewards those who seek him. Isaiah 37, 21. Then Isaiah sent a message back to Hezekiah. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, Because you prayed to me about King Sennacherib of Assyria, dot, dot, dot.
0: Because you prayed, let me tell you what's going to happen. I find it fascinating that we often refer to prayer as a
1: last resort, don't we? I guess there's nothing I can do but pray. As if it's some kind of hand-me-down option that we
0: have. I I can't bring out the cannons. I don't have the tanks. uh, I can pray. Why do we struggle with our limited strength when we can call out to the God who made the heavens and the earth?
1: Why do we try to control our situations when we have the ability to call out to our Father who controls
0: time
1: and can even make the shadow of time go back, who is the sustainer of all things? God's response was, because you prayed to me,
0: this is what I will do. Because you relied on me, this is what I will do. How amazing is it that the God of the
1: universe wants us to come to him in our own imperfect prayers, in our grief, in our struggles, as well as in our joys, and to pour out our heart and our dependence and our reliance upon him. And he wants us to do it, and he's waiting to listen and to see and to respond. So God gives him a message. It's a long message. I won't read the whole message of what God says there, but I do want to jump to verse 36 because it gets cool. So if you remember, we had Wicked King Ahaz. Wicked King Ahaz said, um, hey, you know, I'm just going to make an alliance. I'm not going to fight these guys because I'll lose. Hezekiah cries out to God, and God says, don't worry, I've got this. And in verse 36, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyria. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies everywhere. So King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. Hyperlink back to Jonah. Went back and lived in Nineveh. 185,000 were killed. We don't know how. Could have been a plague. Could have been something similar to what happened in the Exodus when the angel of death came over, maybe. We really don't know all the details there. But could you imagine being an, a military leader and waking up in the morning and having 185,000 of your soldiers? Now, that gives you an idea of what size that army was that was marching up against Jerusalem as well, by the way. There was no small army they were facing. I actually like the addition in, in the book of Chronicles. So I'm gonna, I wanna flip
0: the Chronicles chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Make sure I've got this here. We already talked about that particular verse, but I want to get ready for the next one. Second Chronicles
1: 32.20. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, prayed about this. This is about Sennacherib approaching him. And cried out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated every valiant warrior, leader, and commander in the camp of the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria returned in disgrace to his land, and he went into the temple of his God, and there some of his own children struck him down with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the power of King Sennacherib of Assyria, and from the power of all others. He gave them rest on every side, and many were bringing an offering to the Lord to Jerusalem and valuable gifts to King Hezekiah of Judah he was exalted in the eyes of all the nations after that. This story ends with God being exalted because a human trusted him. Catch that. This story ends with God being put on display and people worshiping Yahweh and sending gifts to Yahweh because a human
0: had the audacity and the bravery to trust God. That's really cool. That's the story of the Bible, friends. That's
1: the story of the Bible. It's the story of the garden. It's the story of the flood. It's the story of the wilderness, of the promised land, of the Messiah, of the church, of every God follower from the beginning
0: of time until the end of the ages. It's never about the battle in front of you. Let that sink in. It's never about the battle in front of you. It's about the battle of the heart and who you will trust.
1: It's never about the trials, the hardships, the money, the pain, the difficulty. It's about God wanting us to learn to trust him in all things, good and bad,
0: so that he can do what only he can do, and that is use broken people for his glory. James chapter one, verses two through four says this: Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters
1: whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I said three, three Sundays ago, two Sundays ago, um, that it's easy to start well, but it's not always easy to finish well, right? We start many things. It's always easy to start, but it's not always easy to finish well. Hezekiah started really well.
0: Then he became proud, and he failed, Then he humbled himself, and then he finished really well. As a matter of fact, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, says this about Hezekiah. This is a great verse. Hezekiah relied on the Lord
1: God of Israel, and not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. It never says that Hezekiah was perfect, does it? As a matter of fact, it goes to great length to bring out the fact that he messed up. One thing I love about the Bible is when it brings out a good guy, it brings out the good guy with his weaknesses. It's not just the the biography of the greats and you only show off the good things, which is typical of the kings of of the regions of that time. When they had the books about their kings, it was only the successes. It was only the great things that the kings had done,
0: the victories that they had. The defeats didn't go in the records. But God records humans the way humans are, messy. He records the victories, and he records the challenges. So, why would Isaiah pause his message from God? A message to the nations
1: about upcoming judgment a message of hope for the future of the Messiah, why would he pause his letter, his message, throw in these four chapters as we've broken them down, the story of Hezekiah in the midst of it? Because the story of Hezekiah is the story of every Jew and every Jesus follower as well. It's exactly what God wanted from the nation of Israel. It's exactly what God wants from every one of his followers today. The reason for the judgment in the beginning of Isaiah is because the people failed to rely on God. They became arrogant, they became proud, they made their own gods and failed to trust God. The future hope is for a remnant who will trust God completely and God will put his word in their hearts and they will follow him 100%.
0: That's the future hope. And here's Hezekiah, a man on this earth, not batting a thousand, but doing a really good job of relying upon God in his difficult circumstances. Even if the generation before you blew it, like Ahaz, you have the choice to trust God.
1: Even if people around you are hostile towards you, you have the choice to trust God. Even if the circumstances you face seem overwhelming, you have the choice to trust God. It comes down to the choice. You cannot always choose how you feel. Can we be real about that? You might feel discouraged or depressed. You might feel overwhelmed or sad or angry or hurt. God made us emotional beings, and he relates to our emotions. Can I say that feelings are not sinful in and of themselves? When you feel depressed, that doesn't mean you've sinned. When you feel sad, it doesn't mean you're in sin. It's not the emotions or the feelings. It's what we do with that that can make the difference. When we're afraid, do we turn to God or do we turn to our own strength or our friends? When we're upset, when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we're having everything go right, are we relying on others or do we rely on God? That's the moment of truth. And we face these moments of truth every single day. Who will get the glory for what's happening in my life? So let me ask you this. If this was your story interrupting the pages of Isaiah, if this was your story in the middle of the book, what would it say? Would there be highlights of your faithfulness to God? I hope so. (laughs) Would there be reruns of your blunders, kind of like a really bad episode of
0: AFV? Probably. But in the end, how will you be known? David was certainly
1: not the perfect king, but he was known as a man after God's own heart and one of the greatest kings of Israel, and a faithful follower of Yahweh. Hezekiah did not bat a thousand, he had pride and arrogance, and yet he was known as one of the great as the greatest leader of Judah. And the second greatest of all the kings, maybe the third, depending upon how you want to rank Solomon in there, I think
0: he was better than Solomon, because Solomon wasn't repentant for many of the things that he did. But that's just my opinion. Please don't send me emails about that. I believe had, Isaiah had the story of
1: Hezekiah in this book for a greater purpose than just a historical segue from Assyria to Babylon. I believe Isaiah included this story because it's a reminder of what Israel was called to be, and that's who he's writing to. It's the symbol of what it means to live in the Mosaic Covenant and be a person of God. It's a reminder that God intended from the very beginning for them to be a people that trusted him. Why well, He brought him into the wilderness? Read the story of Exodus and you'll see God did this to test them. God did this so they learned to trust him. God did this so they'd know him that he'd heal them. And it's a reminder what God intended from the beginning for us as well. Your past does not matter. Your heritage does not matter. Your culture, your circumstances, threats, or prosperity do not matter in God's economy, the events of this life are meant to point us to the author of life. And it's only our arrogance that will drive us
0: away. Let me help you catch this again. The events of this life are meant to teach us to rely on the author of life.
1: That's the point. That was the point that God wanted in the garden. It's the point that God wanted for Israel and why he called them his own people through the covenants of Abraham and Moses
0: and David. It's why he sent his son, so that we could become the people of God that point
1: to him. So that at the end of our days, in each and every day that we live, people are drawn to the one God who is the maker of heavens and earth, and they see him and not just us. And when they see our splendor, they see his splendor. When they see our blessings, they recognize it as his blessings. When they see our struggles, they understand that we trust God to take us through it. And when God carries us through it, we give him the credit. Each day, you and I are faced with moments of truth, but we have to choose who we're going to rely on. I want to encourage you to take the lesson of Hezekiah. In the middle of this book,
0: it's big enough for us to grasp, but also it's within grasp. Turn to God. Rely on God.
1: I don't know what walls all of you are facing. I don't know what challenges all of you have. I know there's some real ones out there. You don't have to tell me what those are, but I want to ask you this. Are you relying on God? He may not answer the way you want. He may not answer you right away.
0: He might answer you at that time, which could be tomorrow or six months from now. But I promise you that in those days that you're walking for God, he
1: will be glorified if you turn to him and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you allow us to go through trials and testings.
0: Father, you don't promise us peace in this world. You actually promise us the opposite of that.
1: I thank you for the reminder from your word that you don't require Um, perfection
0: on our part, Christ accomplished that for us. But that it's your desire that we be a people that seek you.
1: Father, help us not to become so arrogant that we are too embarrassed or proud to ask you for help when we need it. But help us also not to become arrogant and thinking that what we have is because of our own strength and our own effort
0: because you give us the strength to do what we do. Father, from the very beginning, you've desired a people who would trust you.
1: For whatever circumstances this family is in, I pray that you would draw them to the place of trusting in you more through these circumstances. Father, help us to not rely on our own strength, but to rely on you not as a last resort, but as a best first choice. So that you can receive the praise and the honor through
0: the way that we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, David, I did it. I got through Hezekiah. You get to preach next
1: week. And uh thank you. If you have questions about Hezekiah, feel free to text me or email me. Um, David's gonna come up now, though, because we have um
0: something special also to wrap up our service time with, right? Yes. Yeah, if you're